everybody. Welcome back to Pretend World's Real People. As always, I'm Tyler. And I will say right now, it's Monday when this episode comes out. Future Tyler is sitting on a bench next to a lake, drinking coffee, and eating a breakfast burrito, enjoying his miniature vacation. But Saturday Tyler is, let's see, it's 10-something tonight. He still has yet to pack. He's double-triple checking everything, getting texts about what else I need to bring because my girlfriend had gone you know, ahead of me. She spends about two weeks or so with her family on a very fun mountainous trip. So whatever she forgot in the house, I get to bring. So I'm going through the checklist, making sure I bring everything. But let me just loop you through what happened this week. Well, today I spent most of the day working as boom operator for my friend's documentary. Can't wait to see what happens with that. I won't tell you anything right now, but uh, it's going to be really, really big. So that's super awesome. Uh, also why I'm very exhausted. <laughs> but outside of that, I had a ton of auditions come through, which is great. I booked uh, something that'll be really, really cool. And I'm just, you know, seeing what other projects may lie waiting for me. We'll we'll see what happens, but I'm happy to just audition. I love putting in that work, especially when there's really quick turnarounds and you're stressed about, you know, what you want to do. From my experience, uh, this is for all those, you know, newer actors out there, go with your gut, go with what you feel, and uh, don't be afraid to make something different. Uh, that's something I really want to pass on. But uh, yeah, it's been a really busy week. A lot of opportunities came about, so I will hopefully catch you up on those in the next episode. But let's get down to brass tacks. Let's get down to why you are really here listening to this episode. You are here because you are a fan of Fanatic, the feature film, uh, Moonfall. Maybe you're a fan of Kiss the Cook. Or maybe you're a fan of The Boys, which is a television show that my guest this week not only was a fan of, but ended up becoming a recurring character on. I had a chance to speak with Katie Breyer, who is a Canadian actress, screenwriter, and she's known for primarily The Boys, but she also has a film called Kiss the Cook in which she wrote that is out now. So if you get a chance, please check it out. But we get into, you know, how she came about in the industry, which is uh, honestly, it's something I relate to way too much, but she loved the Harry Potter films as a kid and ended up waiting for a letter from Hogwarts so she can go about. I think all of us had, uh, maybe that's when we started to experience what depression was as kids, when we knew we would never become a student at the aforementioned Hogwarts. But since her youth, she created a fantastic career on both sides of the lens. And we get to talking about, you know, her early years in her career, what it's like to navigate acting dry spells, writing feature films, especially writing for the first time, and landing her gig on the boys. So let's uh, let's get right to it. Let's dive in. Let's sit down for our chat with the amazing Katie Breyer. I'm Katie Breyer. I am a actor and a screenwriter. Ooh, uh, I love asking this question. Which came first? Acting. Oh, yes, acting. Really? Oh, was that me? Did I just make a crazy noise on my screen? No, was there okay. was there a crazy noise? Okay, never mind. Good. Okay, <laughs> off to a great start. Um, yes, acting <laughs> acting came first, um, and writing was only it was a pandemic situation. Oh, what Born any previous like? Oh, was like 
was it something you were interested in off the bat or was it, I mean, a lot of people like us, we were just kind of sitting around, no auditions, no self tapes during 2020 thinking, mm -hmm. eh, I'll try it out. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's a pretty common story. Like it's not, it's not unique at all, but um, yeah, I, I, I wrote a, I mean, I've been writing screenplays that go nowhere that just sit in my desktop forever for like, like all, like most artists. And when I'm like, oh, I should like make my own work. Like, let me like write my masterpiece. And then it just sits there. Um, and I'd written like a short film in the past, but it only really got serious during the pandemic when my friend and I were sitting around and, you know, we were auditioning for a lot of like Hallmark movies, movie of the week. And, uh, I mean, oh, maybe this is shady. I don't know. I'm uh -oh. going to get myself in trouble. But some of the scripts weren't great. And we were like, wow, we could do this. We could totally do this. We don't have anything else to do. Let's just let's just write one for fun. And so we started writing. And um, with uh, some help along the way, we managed to get one of them produced. And since then, it's just kind of grown and, inspired and snowballed into this full-time job. Oh my, that's fantastic. So do you, are you under contract or are you sort of like freelancing and, and pitching and selling mm -hmm. as you go on? Yeah, we're, we're freelancing. We've worked yeah. primarily with this one company called Real One and, uh, but we've just been branching out and we got representation and now we're, we're trying to make, we're trying to rebuild the rom-com, like the old school rom-com, rom one step at a time, one movie at a time. We're trying <laughs> to build an empire here. <laughs> how, how old school are we talking here? I, I'm a huge fan of like the, the Nancy Myers films, like anything with Meg Ryan, I'm totally, I can rewatch When Harry Met Sally every day if I wanted to. I love it so much. And I want to bring that back, you know? Yeah. I feel like anybody who's writing dialogue, that's one of their first films they kind of go back into is When Harry Met Sally because it is so natural and Oh, yeah. Up. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, it's so, it was such an inspiration for me. I'm like, okay, that not, might not be what we're writing now, but I think if we get our foot in the door, maybe we can get there somehow. So that's that's the plan anyway. Yeah. Oh well, that that's fantastic. I mean, your one that was produced. Where is that available? What what's it called? Where where can people uh, find it? Wow, I'm flubbing so hard right now. <laughs> where can people find it? <laughs> um. So it was airing on. Um. Like I always get so bad at all these technical things. Up TV. Um, okay. and it was, it was airing a while ago. It's called Kiss the Cook. I should probably say that. Kiss the Cook. Ooh, Kiss the um, Cook. Okay. These movies, you know, they go through like rounds where they get like re-released every once in a while. It's like a cyclical thing. Yeah. So I'm not sure what's going to be playing next. Um, but actually my writing partner and I actually got to act in that together, which was incredible. That was oh. really, really a dream. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, that, yeah, that hardly ever happens. Even when you, you know, you write it, you might get a walk on cameo or you're in the yeah. background. But wow. Yeah. That is so was, awesome. We we really hit the jackpot. I, it was a total fluke. We, we we struck gold really fast on our first movie ever to be produced. We got to write it and like write and star in it. It was incredible. It was an absolute dream come true. Hasn't happened since, but we're hoping it'll <laughs> happen again. <laughs> it's okay. Like everybody says, this is a peak and valley industry, right? So <laughs> 100%. Yeah. yeah. You do the big thing and then you're just kind of, you know, you do some small project like The Boys or something, you know, oh, that yeah, that nobody's thing. ever heard of. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, no one watches it. It just completely flies under the radar. <laughs> oh, yeah. It made it one season. Yeah. yeah. It, uh, we will get into that at, at a certain point in this episode, but I do want to go back and see where your love and your passion for acting originated. When did that start for you? Can you pinpoint a moment? Um. 
I think when I realized that I was really bad at every other subject in school, I was like, I don't think I have a choice. And I've always been a bit of a extrovert and a bit of a performer. And actually, I think where it started, this is embarrassing, but I was watching Harry Potter a lot. I went through a Harry Potter obsession and I was like, wait, because I was when I read the books, I was like, I want to be a wizard. Like, I want that to happen for me. And I was really confused why it wasn't happening. I was like, oh, so magic isn't real. Then why did those kids in the Harry Potter movies get to do it? And I don't. So I think I just decided that I if my only chance at being a wizard was to become an actor and play in one of the movies. So I, think I, I was like 11. <laughs> oh, that no, that's completely sound. I think anybody because you're probably around the same age as I am. When we were watching those movies, yeah, we were wondering, where's my letter? How can I yeah. get a broom to fly? Why is yes. this not happening? <laughs> yeah, and I was like, I need to find a loophole so that I can get into this wizarding world of Harry Potter. And I was like, oh, the only way is acting. So I guess I should become an actor so I could become an, a wizard. And I have yet to become a wizard. It's actually very disappointing. <laughs> You'd think, I mean, when, quick quick tangent, listeners, but when, uh, was it, Fantastic Beasts came out and they said, oh, yeah, there's an American Hogwarts. I'm like, oh, awesome. When is that movie coming out? When are they casting? Can we all go out for it? But nothing transpired. Nothing. Oh my God. (laughs) What a letdown. So I'm still waiting for that moment where I get into the Harry Potter universe. So if anyone's listening and wants to make that happen. Just manifest it. Yeah, this is manifestation. (laughs) I'm speaking it into the universe. So that's probably, yeah, that's where it started for me, I think. Yeah. Were you practicing your uh, British accent during that time as well? Oh, absolutely. I, I've been working on it ever since. I'm, I'm desperate. Not that people are looking to cast Americans as British people. It's usually the other way around, but I, I don't I know. I think it's it's time for that switch. <laughs> yeah, give us a chance to be British. Like, come on, I've been prepping since I was 11. <laughs> Have you had a chance to, to work over in the UK at all? No. Oh, it's that would be a dream. Yeah. But no, I wish. That'd be awesome. Uh, I mean, just I, I can, <laughs> we were talking about before us being very overcaffeinated right now. And then you saying you have like a frantic energy to you, but I can see that, that love and that nostalgia in your eyes. So I was just kind of, sort of wondering if you've, well, you've probably been to the UK, right? I have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I went um, and I saw like a bunch of shows on the, uh, the West End productions and I was like, okay, how can I figure this out? And I didn't realize that for Canadians, there is a, um, like a like a travel visa I guess it's all part of the commonwealth agreement where you can go and work in the in the UK if you're under 31 and I'm 31 right now I missed I only found out this year I totally missed the boat on it I was like that was my opportunity everyone if you're listening and you're a Canadian go go do it they just give you a free visa oh my god (laughs) that's a that's a weird age limit though to cap that off yeah, why 31, I wonder? What happens at 31? We, <laughs> we expire. Our value <laughs> expires. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> and work is late. You know, their back is going out. That's, yeah, yeah that's well, I mean, so I'm weird. feeling it. Yeah. You... <laughs> well, what, uh, you know, you, you have that love for Harry Potter. You're instantly sort of hooked in diving into this, like, otherworldly sort of ethereal performance-based interaction. Where did you find the uh, the feed for that did you join like school plays did you do like little films yeah I did um I did like a short film I think my I think my my aunt Louise was a a drama teacher and she really 
um, fed my love for theater and really nurtured that. And we would just do little like school productions and stuff. And, um, and then one day she heard about a short film that was casting. And so she brought me, I think I was probably maybe 12 or 13. And so she brought me to the auditions and, um, that's my first time like auditioning ever. And I didn't know anything about, I didn't know enough about it to be nervous. I wasn't, I was just like, Oh, okay. I'm just going to go and read these lines and it was an emotional scene and I was just sitting there crying like my my raw talent peaked at 11 apparently <laughs> <laughs> and I nailed it and I like booked a role in the movie and then I was absolutely hooked after that and I told my mom I wanted to get an agent and pursue it uh professionally and she said um only if I know that you're good I'm not going to subject you to this world if you're not going to make it so go to some classes harness your craft a little and then we'll talk about it and uh, and then I, I, I did as she as I was told, and then she allowed me to get an agent. Wow, and that's where that, it all started. That's incredibly insightful for your mother to have done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, she she's a I'm I'm part of the black sheep of the family. Well, not really. My dad is kind of he's like me, but she's a very intellectual person and mm. had no didn't didn't know anything about the world of like acting and the arts and stuff that wasn't really her wheelhouse she likes to consume them but she didn't really know how to get someone like she didn't she wouldn't, had no idea how to be a stage mom essentially so she was like I like fine let's do the research let's figure it out but I'm I'm not going to commit to this if I'm if I don't know it's going to go somewhere so I hope I made her proud she's in the next room right now I hope she's listening and it's like <laughs> <laughs> I, I bet you have. Well, and sh it seems like those who aren't familiar with the industry and they're raising kids who are going into it, they have a sort of, uh, I guess, more of a protective insight of their their kids. And, you mm -hmm. know, like you said your mom's an intellectual, like putting you into classes. That's that's crazy awesome that she did that. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, you know, it's, it's paying off. Right. I mean, did you did you feel like there were a couple of years in there where you uh, you didn't want to do this anymore as you were taking classes, doing auditions, or did, was no. it was just your focus? Yeah, I, I've always been really blindly optimistic about it, actually. Like, I, people, of course, I'm, I'm sure you hear this story a lot uh, in your conversations with people where they, they start and then every, like, they start pursuing acting or the arts and then uh, everyone along their way is like, so what's, what's, this, what's the backup plan? What's, what are you going to do to actually sustain yourself? And I was like, no, I'm going to do this. I mean, of course, I'm like, I'm going to get the six service jobs. And everyone was like, you need to have a backup plan. You need to have something. And I was like, I don't know. I feel pretty confident that I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> I never really wanted, I never, yeah, I never really saw myself giving it up. See, I'm not sure if you saw one of the, the shirts I made when oh we started this God. podcast. <laughs> oh my God. That? That's so amazing. Oh, what? Oh my God. I need that shirt. Just as a I reminder. I'll, I'll order more, but yeah, the idea of like not giving up super pertinent to this podcast, because I have talked to, you're right. I've talked to a lot of people who even stopped for a couple of years and then mm. went back into it because it was just calling them. Something was pushing, pushing them to it. So uh, yeah. that, that's awesome that, I mean, you say blind optimism. I just, I call it being driven. Like you, yeah. I was looking at your resume and you have done quite a bit in your career, you know, and it's only getting bigger and bigger every single year. So Mm -hmm. When you were starting this outside of Hogwarts, as you were getting older, <laughs> did you have any, I don't want to say an end game, but like an optimal uh, project you wanted to work on, whether it was working with this director or working with, uh, you know, the set of performers, did you have anything like that in mind? 
I do, you know, I did, I did actually, I, um, I was a big fan of Superbad and <laughs> Seth Rogen is kind of a hero of mine. So I really, really wanted to work with Seth Rogen in some capacity. And um, as it turns out, he's one of the minds behind the boys. So I've accomplished it and now I can give up. Now I can give up. <laughs> no, obviously not. No, no. Yeah, I have much do bigger aspirations. But, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I, I mean, it's not to say that I haven't like had moments. I've, ha I've had a few years where I didn't really work. Like I, I think I started hot out of the gate after theater school. I like booked a gig on a TV show called Being Human and that really boosted my confidence. And then, you know, it was a struggle to get things after that, but I moved from Montreal, Quebec to Toronto and um, started to hustle here and, you know, get little bit parts along the way. And, and I, 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 I really, I chalk a lot of it up to luck. I think I really lucked out a lot um, because I got to work with um, one of my first gigs that I booked after moving to Toronto. I got to work with Susan Sarandon for four days playing her assistant and I was like and that was another one of my goals is I love I look up to Susan Sarandon so much and I got to work with her closely and sit next to her while in between takes and she would just give me advice and be like read your contracts like look at what everyone else is making and then see if you're getting paid enough like she actually sat down and but I mean she, she we had a, a little tiny moment of mentorship I like to think it was incredible and I was so lucky and I was like, wow, okay, once again, I chalk that off the list really early. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was really, it was really great. And I felt like I um I was really picking up speed and and I did this lifetime movie called Fanatic that I got some uh nominations for. And I was like, man, I have got it in the bag. This this acting thing is easy. And then I stopped working for three years. I don't know what happened. But I just, I, I think I got a little lazy. I think I got, I took a lot of it for granted. And I just, maybe I wasn't putting as much into my auditions anymore. And I, I think it was a, a level of cockiness hmm. slipped in and, and, and it, it destroyed my career for three years. And it was really, really tough. And my mom actually got me a bracelet. Thinking of your, of your Don't Give Up shirt, she got me a bracelet. Can I swear on this? Oh, fuck yes. Okay, okay, great. Uh, she got me a, a bracelet that inside said, um, keep fucking going one day when I was at my lowest. And I was, and I, every time I'm like going through a moment of like self-doubt, I put that bracelet on. I'm like, keep fucking going, do it. Oh, that's incredible. Well, I, I'd say that the dry spell is needed for anybody who starts really like sort of rising up before 30. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like you said, it's, and it's not even, uh, would you say that you felt cocky during that time in like a, a negative way or was it just like a, no, like I'm going to get it, you know, like sort of a smooth cockiness? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think, you know, I've always really tried hard. Um, and like, I do my homework when I have an audition, I like do, do all the work, but I think I took a little bit for granted that I, I just thought, you know, I've had such a wonderful run of things so far. I mean, I didn't, wasn't famous or anything but that, that was never really my goal I just wanted to work on interesting things with interesting people and I felt like I was doing that and then I think I just took for granted that that was going to be the rest of my career and probably spent more of my money than I should have and then I was like oh hmm, okay this isn't as easy as I thought I'm probably gonna have to 
go back to the drawing board. And so I don't think it was like, I don't think I was being an asshole about it, but I mm -hmm. think I was being a little, a little lazy maybe yeah. in my work and in my prep. Well, hey, if you hit all those strides that quickly right out of the gate, I mean, it's, you know, if, if it feel, feels easy at the time, it's really easy to just go, all right, well, like, I'm good. <laughs> I, I totally yeah. get that. Yeah. But, I mean, what were you doing during those those three years? Were you uh, were you working multiple jobs and still trying? I mean, what, what were those three years like? I'm really interested to hear more about that. If yeah, that's okay. Oh my God, <laughs> of, kind course, of, a dark of course. Time. No, it's totally, I mean, it was a dark time, but it's also part of the process and part of the journey. And I don't think that I would be where I am today if I hadn't had those three years of like a wake up call. You know, I don't, I don't think anything, everything happens for a reason. And again, there was, there was, I'm not going to chalk it all up to my cockiness. It's probably a lot of it was also luck. Like I just like, for whatever reason, the stars didn't align in my favor in those three years. And I, um, I ended up going, I worked at a wedding venue in Toronto for a long time. That was always my side, my side gig was working at this wedding venue. And I, I actually really liked it. I'm a big fan of the side hustle. I think it's necessary not only to financially sustain you, but also just to keep you grounded in reality. And I mean, I have a lot of energy to expel, so it's good for me to have something to focus on. You can't just, I can't sit around waiting for the phone to ring. That's never been my strong suit. So um, I worked at a wedding venue and worked like six, seven days a week into the wee hours in the morning because uh, I was a closing supervisor. and in the meantime, like did my auditions and everything. And that may have also factored into it as I was probably tired a lot. <laughs> like I can't imagine people are looking to cast people who are just walking into the room absolutely, utterly exhausted, like a zombie. So probably would have had a few earlier nights in those days, but uh, yeah. And then eventually I um, decided to go to, to Vancouver with a friend of mine to try to just like shake up. I, I, I believe that you need to kind of like shake up your, your energy a little bit, like try living somewhere new or like even like switching apartments, you know, getting a haircut, like doing something to just kind of like change your environment, I think kind of pushes things along. Um, that didn't really make a lot of sense, but I hope it did somewhat. No, it totally did. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I went to Vancouver with a friend of mine and was just like checking out the scene there to see if maybe I wanted to move. And that's where I met my now fiance. Oh, we reconnected with him. I knew him from theater school years ago, but we got together there and he's like, I'm pretty bored too. Do you want to write a, a short film and film it? Let's like give ourselves a week to like write a short film and, and make that happen. And so we started writing and we filmed this short film where we actually played siblings, which is gross to think about now that we're engaged. I'm like, oh God, that's gross. <laughs> but we... <laughs> <laughs> so embarrassing <laughs> had we only known then that we would fall in love um and we made this thing and and um and then put it into film festivals and like we got to fly down to LA to like the premiere of it um and it like won a little competition and I, all of a sudden it's like I started getting my mojo back and I was like oh we created something really cool I bet I bet I could do that again I bet I could do better and I think, I mean, I, would, I don't want to give him all the credit or anything, but like, <laughs> I think going and reconnecting with him and having him push me to make stuff really helped get my ass in gear. And uh, 
pretty shortly after that, he moved to Toronto. And uh, again, I'm not giving him the credit, but everything started to really fall in line. It like, I started booking little, I went from booking some like bigger things before my three-year forced hiatus to booking just like an actor role here and there. And I really started from, from ground, from the, the, whatever that phrase is. I started from like the bottom again and worked my way back up. And that's when the boys came around was shortly after that. Wow. Hey, if he doesn't get a thank you during your acceptance speech for an award. Yeah, I guess he kind of <laughs> deserves it. <laughs> you might be in the doghouse. <laughs> yeah, he's going to get so cocky. If he ever hears this, he's going to be so cocky. It's terrible. <laughs> I can tell you right now, my girlfriend would say the same thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you better say something. Oh, I will. Don't worry. I yeah, wrote yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's fantastic, though, that you had that the rekindling of many different things, you know, for your, your love of it. And then obviously meeting or re-meeting the love of your life. That's just an mm-hmm. insane sort of coincidental, almost unifying moment. And yeah, I, I mean, I feel like that short film, you probably have it on like a disc somewhere, right? <laughs> or like a poster. Of it. You know, it's so terrible. Like Uh-oh. I actually can't watch it. Like I, no? I, it's, I, listen, some people liked it and that's amazing, but I, I think I have a really hard time watching my own work and feeling good about it. So I love the, that the movie exists and what it did for me, but I, I don't love the, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I just look back and I'm like, oh, I would have done that. And I know so much more about like screenwriting now that I'm like, oh God, I should why did I write that? That's so stupid. Like what a, it was, uh, yeah, I get a little embarrassed. <laughs> it's okay. I think most of us would agree, right? Like Adam Driver can't watch any of his stuff yeah <laughs> yeah so that's completely normal and yeah when the you know when the boys came around was that something that just came through your reps did you submit a self-tape to it like how did that process get going um yeah it was just a really normal uh run-of-the-mill process I had no idea how that it was going to turn into something so substantial um but it, I actually started I auditioned for Robin um so Huey's girlfriend from the beginning who gets ran through by a train um and I liked I really I was like wow this is such a cool project and I see that Seth Rogen is attached and I was like oh my god this is my I want to be on the show I just like this is going to happen for me and then I didn't get that and I was like oh <laughs> like crying um but then I auditioned the the role the, the audition for Cassandra was just like one monologue from the first episode the first time you meet Cassandra when she's interviewing to be the deep's wife that was the entire audition was just like a little paragraph um and yeah we had I had no idea that it that she would even be back I had no idea that it would turn into something so big and so it was a really simple audition for quite a complex and now a very complex character yeah it's real I love where things have gone especially with I mean if you haven't watched the newest season those who are listening please go pause this watch it and come back but seeing her grow like you said into this very complex figure was so much fun I just wanted to see more of her but you're right Mm -hmm. like I didn't expect that role to to return for another season so when like season two ended did they say hey gear up because you're ready for season three or did you not know until they were like (laughs) I had no idea I literally didn't like we we wrapped I wrapped season two and was like that was fun. I guess cool. That was fun. Who knows? Like I didn't die. So maybe I could come back. Um, but I don't know where it's going to go. 
And then I got a message from the casting director and she was like, oh my God, Katie, do you know that you're back for five episodes this season? Has anyone told you? And I was like, no one's told me I am. (laughs) They're like, yeah, they're starting production soon. So like, get ready. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess. Cool. But I had no idea what it was going to turn into. And then then it ended up being more than five episodes for the season. And uh, we went through quite a roller coaster this season. Yes, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's a it's a doozy. My character goes through some very awkward, strange uh, situations. <laughs> yeah, a lot. it's with a capital A and a capital S for awkward and strange. Oh, uh, my God. It was crazy. <laughs> I, I uh, I've had to watch this season alone uh, just because my my girlfriend didn't. She's like, it's too much for me for each episode. So, you know, you yeah. watch it and then I'll watch it. But she walked in during, you know, one of your pivotal moments with uh-huh. with Chase's character and immediately looked down and said, I can't do this today. <laughs> I think a lot of people thought my poor family had to wanted to support me. But I was like, I don't know if this is the season to watch. <laughs> it's, it's very, yeah, there's some there's some interesting intimate moments with some octopus, several of them, which is, you know, I never thought that I would be describing my job including working with like puppets of octopus while I'm like naked in a bed with Chase Crawford. I didn't, I did not foresee that for myself at all. I don't think it's ever going to happen again. It was a once in a lifetime opportunity and I'm proud of it. <laughs> you you should be. Well, you, you created such a dynamic character from something that I'm sure in the, uh, the breakdowns was, you know, Oh, she will be the deeps, you know, coordinated wife within the cult. Da, 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 da but you brought so much gravitas to it, especially as the episodes carried on. Where was your, if you had any, where was your inspiration for sort of like shifting your character to another, um, I guess more like alpha status? Yeah, it was really, I, I like, I really love where this character went, not just because I got to do all these crazy things, but it's really interesting. The show is so much about like power dynamics and the effects that power can have on someone. And and I early on I did get on a call with um with Julian, one of the directors of the first episodes, and he was really we like spoke about the character a little bit and they kind of described her as like the Lady Macbeth of the season. And I was like, oh that is amazing. Okay, great. Let me go read that play. So I can get so I can get, get that in my head. <laughs> I like the scenes of the movies before, but I was like, I've never read that. So let me <laughs> let me just quickly go read Macbeth and uh, do that work. Um, and then I kind of like I, I just looked at the character as like um she's an anthropologist, right? She's an incredibly smart person who studies human nature for uh, for a living. That's her job, and you know she's like a professor, so it's. Uh, I, I kind of wanted to look at it as an anthropological study. I was like, she's using the deep for a study, an experiment, essentially. She's like, what, how can I manipulate this man, this, this bimbo of a man, um, into putting myself in a position of power in, in a certain way? That's what I like to think that her motivation was, is like, I need to, I also want power. And her power comes in a really interesting, like she's very manipulative and calculating, but it's, I think it's the way that a lot of, um, women see or historically have found their power is by like 
nurturing a man, like pulling the puppet, like mm. really playing into his ego, you know, like if I take care of him, I can just like follow in his footsteps, which, you know, there's, I like to think that we've moved beyond that. And now women can just take their own power without the help of a man. But in Cassandra's case, she used the resources that were available to her. And uh, I, I, I thought that was like a really, a really cool, cool side to this because she has no supernatural abilities. Like, like there's nothing that she doesn't have these suit um, abilities, but she still finds power in her own way, which I think is really cool. And it's a small part of the season, but for me, it was big. It was interesting. Oh, well, in uh, not to not to stroke your ego, but I'd say she is one of the most pivotal characters in the season, you know, Thank for the you. the smaller scenes that you have, what happens within them is so incredibly jarring and yeah like you said she doesn't have any you know superpowers or anything but she's basically like the lex Luthor adjacent of mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> of, yeah. of this this show within the scenes that she's in where i'm just going i i, I was i was wondering like i wonder how she is in real life because <laughs> freaking me out but but you're right she she found a way to you know uh sort of take power you know from uh the the himbo that is the deep and mm-hmm. <laughs> really make something of herself and i uh yeah i don't know i i don't know where i'm going with that but it is just so interesting i keep thinking back to the lady macbeth uh yeah. you know, reference that you brought upon and uh yeah that god that just hits the nail on the fucking head yeah um, once you hear it you can't like unsee it it's like oh of course the yeah. writers are so brilliant too it's like they like it was it was cool to see and I'm I'm happy obviously selfishly that they did it but it's cool to see how they like saw an opportunity in this character and we're like okay what can we what can we weave into this story that and this is the, they're so they're so smart it's like nothing is for nothing like everything is there's a reason behind every gory little detail of the show like there is some meaning behind it and I I was I'm thrilled, obviously, that they saw that opportunity in little crazy Cassandra, who I think really did start off like a, a bit like a, like a, she's a bit of a weirdo. I think that was actually the character description. Like, she's a little weird. And I was like, perfect. That's my wheelhouse. I've always, I've never been cast as a normal level-headed person. It's always <laughs> been someone a little off, a little crazy, a little unhinged, yeah. you know? So I think that it was ones. cool. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I love it. I love any time I can play like a psychopath. I'm thrilled. <laughs> well, is there any chance you're going to return for uh, season four? I have no idea. They really like yeah. to keep me dangling. It's because it could go either way. That's that's the torture of the business is like when I read the last episode, I was in, I was like, so they are really leaving this up for like, it's a 50, 50 chance whether or not I'm going to be back. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, you could be back as Cassandra or you could be back as a writer is that something um, of, of I don't think I'm there any... yet no <laughs> no I don't think so <laughs> I'm like writing Hallmark movies which is pretty much a very formulaic writing experience that you have your nine act structure and you stick within those parameters yeah. like it's I think it's gonna you know I have we have some things in the works that were like branching outside of the MOW world so I'm starting I'm starting to tiptoe my way closer to the kind of stuff I hope to be making in 10 years from now. But uh, yeah, I, I have a lot of imposter syndrome still. Like sometimes I like, you know, we've, we've sold like 
five scripts, I think at this point. Oh, and I wow. keep on being like, what, how did anyone let us do this? Like, are we, are we allowed? Like, this seems, <laughs> I don't feel like I've earned my stripes yet, but okay. And so, you know, I'm battling the imposter syndrome and trying to get a little bit more confident, but yeah. I mean, if, if anyone ever wanted me to write on the boys, I'd be like, yes, of course. <laughs> I mean, heck, selling one project is an incredible success. Selling multiple, that's, that's amazing. And I, I am curious, you said you were talking about, you know, making things that you really want to make within the next 10 years. Is there a genre that you'd like to focus on? I really do love the rom-com. I think it's a, I think it's a lost art. It, I, I'm a big fan of escapism mm. television. But I like to watch things that make me feel good. And I love a happy ending. And I love, I, I, but I want it to be done well. You know, mm. like I, I, I want to see like a When Harry Met Sally again. And uh, I think that's what I would like to, to stick to. Any comedy is really where I, my heart lies. Any kind of comedy is, is good for me. I would like to, to write eventually another like a buddy comedy, both two female leads, like Booksmart, something like that really appeals to me. Oh God, Booksmart. Can we just yeah. say for a second how great that movie is? I love that movie. <laughs> I love Olivia Wilde. I think she's incredible. Oh yeah, her next movie looks oh. absolutely bonkers. Um, Insane, scary. Yeah, I'm here for it. I'm ready. <laughs> but that that brings up something else too. Is that a lot of people who write comedy are also fantastic with horror? Is that something you'd ever explore a little bit? Yeah, I actually. Our, my my friend group in Toronto were all big. I wasn't into horror films because I'm a bit of a chicken. Um, but they are. They my my two of my closest. Um, friends Alex and Jesse they really roped me into the horror genre and Jordan Peele is probably one of my heroes like I think he's incredible and the way that he uses comedy and horror and like weaves it in together it's so it's so effective to me that I'm like okay I can see how this works I think you have a good you have a good point there I think you're right I think they do kind of go hand in hand um but yeah so I started getting much more into um horror like when I was like sitting down with lovers of the genre and really like diving in I realized I'm like oh my god this is incredible like I had never seen Halloween before and now I'm like oh. I know I what? know I know I know I, I let's talk the first time like two years ago and now I'm like I like it's one of the best movies I've ever seen it's so good yeah oh my god wow yeah. that sorry that it shouldn't blow my mind, but you have blown my mind. Uh, that, yeah, <laughs> that's a very long time. And we we did we did we talk all the time about writing a horror film. We talk about it all the time. We have like seven ideas that we want to make happen. Like I love like a found footage movie. I know it's a bit done at this point, but I love them, and I would love to make a found footage film. I don't. It could use a revival. I haven't seen a good one in years yeah so. right <laughs> maybe I'm like like paranormal activity was a while ago I'm realizing that now I'm like oh that was like what, more than 10 years ago okay yeah. there's probably oh, yeah. room there's probably room for that but yeah I would I mean I'm again I'm really I really know the world of rom-com so I feel comfortable diving in there but I know that horror fans are so intense that I only want I want if I'm gonna do it I want to do it well yeah I think that's that's the theme of, of my experience so far is if I'm going to do it, I want to do it to the best of my ability. Like even our Hallmark movies that I'm right, that we're writing, I'm like, if we're going to do it, we're going to have, I want to make sure that it's, that it's the best, you know, 
Yeah. I want to make sure that we're like, we're working our way up and we're never getting complacent. And, and I think the world is of these TV movies is really opening up now. So we're including a lot more diversity, not, mm. not only in, you know, like racial diversity and we're also doing like much like stronger LGBTQ uh, storylines. Um, people with, with differing abilities are now starting to like work their way into these stories. And I'm like, I can see how this could maybe turn into something uh, more more respectable because there is a bit of a stigma attached to these movies, and I'm trying. Well, I think we're trying to erase that a little bit. Yeah, I could see. <laughs> looking at uh, just a Google image search of Hallmark movies, there is definitely a stigma from you know like 2000 to 2015. <laughs> oh my god! I, I justifiably, justifiably, like there some of them are pretty cringe. <laughs> But I think it's changing and I'm excited to be on board with that, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Well, I mean, you said, you know, you weren't really looking at a backup plan. I think you have the perfect one. You know, things slow yeah. down for acting, go to the writing. Things slow down for writing, go to the acting. Like There's mm-hmm. a perfect bounce back there. And that's just, that's so cool. And I, <laughs> I'm going to remember this recording. So, you know, in five years from now, your horror movie comes out and just slays. I feel like, yep, we talked about it on the well, I encourage you to do it. So you'll be in the credits. I'll put you in the credits. I won't take any credit for that. I'll just say, no, I, I talked to her about it. I asked her about casting and she never got back. So, <laughs> uh, but that's just, that's so cool. I, I haven't talked to a whole lot of writers on this, uh, on this podcast about, you know, making something from, from scratch in that area of the industry where it comes to like MOWs and then kind of moving up from there did mm-hmm. speak to uh the writers of Booksmart uh about a year or so ago and they're great I'll send you links to the episodes because they're they fantastic please. but they had amazing ways of like decompressing when they felt like they couldn't write and they were getting this huge sense of writer's block mm-hmm. I'm really curious because you are also an actress as well what do you do to decompress to to let loose after a stressful week stressful couple of months, mm. stressful, you know, shoot day. What, what helps you to kind of relax? Um, well, first of all, I have to, I'm a bit of a procrastinator. So mm. if it wasn't for my writing partner, I would be doing a lot more decompressing and a lot less writing. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty bad at like sticking to a schedule. So I have her to thank for that, for keeping me on a, a regime. Um, and so because of that, we work almost every day, like seven days a week, but in short bursts. So we like to do like four hours a day, every day, um, when we can, when it's, when it, we're able to, it was a bit more difficult when I was working on the boys, because there was a lot of like going to get COVID tests every day and fittings and stuff. So it was harder then, but, but recently since that, we've been pretty much working consistently every day. And at the end of four hours, I this sounds really cliche but I I like go in go into my garden every day like any kind of gardening is how I kind of trick because it's such it's so the opposite of writing where you're just like sitting at your desk and you're incredibly like mentally focused and sharp which is why like it it takes a lot out of you I, I used to roll my eyes when I would hear writers talk about how like draining it is and now I totally get it it's absolutely draining um and, and gardening is the polar opposite. You're, you, I'm going to turn off my mind and just be in my body and just like focus on like something that isn't a computer screen, you know, like watching TV would remind me of writing and story and like 
that all that and and I I need to like get away from that and escape that a little bit uh, well coming from somebody who uh has a what do they call it a black thumb I can't touch a plant without, yeah. <laughs> without yeah. ruining it was that something that became like a learned behavior or is that like are your family a series of gardeners where did um, that come from I'm, I, I will also preface this because I'm not amazing at it I'm really learning I this is I, I my mom is a great gardener but like that's not I, I never got into it you know I'm living in Toronto we don't necessarily we're not known for our green spaces but the the apartment we live in now has a, a little backyard and I I think I just found one day I started plant I like planted a zucchini and it really worked for me and I was like oh okay I can make this a habit and I, I think it was something that I like kind of gravitated towards slowly when I need, realized I needed a release I don't think before writing I, I ever stepped foot in my garden <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah, I was like, it was out of necessity, I think. And again, I'm learning and it's something that I can like focus my attention on that isn't like acting or writing. Mm-hmm. Like it's something it's so removed from the industry that I think that's why I, I, I gravitate towards it. I also like, I need to get outside. I think that's the main thing. Like when people talk about the writer's hump where you're like oh, slumped over your computer oh, all God, day yeah. and you start to develop a hump, I, <laughs> I feel it. Like I need to do yoga every day to like just get in my body because it's, it's really, it's exhausting to sit down all day. It turns out <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. So I think that's where it came from. I think. Yeah. And, and anything, anything that I could do, like getting on my bike, going to a yoga class, like taking a bath, anything I can do to get away from a screen, mm. I will try to do to like, especially when it's like peak audition season. And when I'm not writing, I'm learning lines and filming and doing my hair to do the auditions is it feels like my entire life can be revolved around something that is mm. like it's not a sure thing like it's like none none of what I obviously you talk to like freelance artists all day so it's probably heard a million times for you but like the unpredictability of our industry it can be really draining and so I find like I know that if I plant this seed and water it every day something will grow and that is that consistency is kind of nice for me. I think that's why I like it. Yeah, and it, there's something very uh, therapeutic and cathartic about gardening. That, for, from what I've heard, I I just watch the people do this. Like that looks like fun. Not for me though. I can't do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, th- this is a new question. I want I want to start asking people because it is something that's come up in conversation pretty often. Do you when you go to sleep at night? Do you listen to music or podcasts or can you go to sleep with just nothing but, you know, diegetic sound around you? No, I definitely listen. I need to listen to something. Mm-hmm. I, podcasts are big for me. Like I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm a bit of a, a podcast head. Um, so I always like to listen to podcasts, but my partner actually watches Seinfeld to go to sleep every night. So when we are sleeping, we always have Seinfeld playing in the background. It doesn't seem like the most relaxing ambient noise, but it's comforting. I think it's just, it's a way to like shut off your I don't know why we do it. Why do we do this? Like, I feel like our generation needs to be listening to something to go to sleep. That's so weird. We need stimulation for sure. Yeah. Do you, do you listen to something? Yeah. So I, I'll go through bouts when I, (laughs) when I was living in my really small studio apartment two years ago before I met um you know my current partner I would have you know uh it's always sunny or something on 
And I'd fall asleep mm. to that with a timer on the TV. And then, you know, since moving in, we don't obviously have a TV in our, our room, thankfully. So I'll listen to uh, How Did This Get Made? Or I'll listen to yeah. like scary story things and yeah. fall asleep. However, I cannot figure out, uh, <laughs> I'll have an AirPod in and I will mm. always lose that AirPod every single morning. So it's like a little oh, scavenger no. hunt every time. Oh uh, no. But it's something, it's something I thought I'd ask because yeah, our generation, uh, we need stimulation. Like we just, we need yeah. something to overwhelm our senses so we can fall asleep. It's so weird, right? It's so interesting that you list, that you used to watch It's Always Sunny to fall asleep because it's another kind of chaotic show. Like there's a lot of like screaming and swearing <laughs> and, and same thing with Seinfeld. It's like, everyone's always yelling and smashing into things. And I'm like, why is that our choice? We like, why the most chaotic shows? It's really interesting. I'm so curious to hear what other people say because I'm always kind of, I'm yeah. like, it's kind of like a little like shame that we have where like every night we need to listen to Seinfeld. It's Sein- so weird. Seinfeld is is a new one. I have not heard that one. So that's, I might really? try that one night. Yeah. Cause I, I think also, honestly, it might be, you know, if there's something quiet or if it's, this is a bad example, but if it's something like true detective, we're forced to pay attention to it. So we can't mm-hmm. fall asleep. But if it's Seinfeld or it's always sunny, it's the same, nah, 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 you know, name yeah. calling crazy shit that we just mm-hmm. kind of relax so and it's yeah. familiar too it's like yeah. that's such a nostalgic show for most of us and it's a sitcom too so that's really again it's kind of formulaic and we know what to expect no one's gonna be like wait who died wait who's pregnant it's like you you don't have to think about it you can just absorb it yeah and it's that's my anthropological study of that <laughs> 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 I'm noticing there's a lot of you in that character there, Katie. Uh, yeah, well, my, well, poor has, a... my yeah. <laughs> Sorry, what were you gonna say? My my poor fiance. I'm just I'm just his puppet master. It's all method acting. Oh, I'm gonna keep an eye on you guys for sure. Like, there's yeah. something going on in that apartment. I don't know what it is. Uh, I <laughs> thank you for for answering that question because I thought I'd I'm gonna bring it into you know regular routine like for the show. It's just, I'm so you know, curious. I kind of want to know the answer. Yeah, I'm going to start taking a toll. So, so far we yes. have <laughs> stimulation <laughs> over not stimulation. Yeah. Uh, I, I just have a few few more things I want to ask you before we wrap this thing up. But yeah. uh, one of them being, uh, we like to, this is like the hardest thing for me to ask because I screwed up every time. But uh, if you have a party story you could share with us. Now, it's not a story of something that happened at a party but a story you would tell amongst a group of friends about something that was so impactful to your life, to your, maybe your career, um, an experience you had that you can recount every single detail of. Do you have something that you could share with the, uh, the listeners? I mean, I one of the first thing that's coming to mind that's relevant is kind of something I already told, but I can tell more detail. Oh, oh, this is okay. It is about my, my best friend, Susan Sarandon, which is also very cringy. I hate name dropping and I don't mean to, but she's really cool. And it was really <laughs> fun to meet her. Um, but I was a really big fan of the, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm. And there was one day, oh my God, I just thought of another story, but it's very slanderous. So I can't tell that one, but I did just mention that it's slanderous. And now I'm sure everyone's very intrigued, but I'm not going to tell it because it's mean. Um, (laughs) It's a bad story, but this is a good one. So I was working with with Susan Sarandon and we were sitting next to each other um, in like the little waiting area. And at one point she, like someone came up to her and had a copy of 
Rocky Horror Picture Show. And she, it was a crew member and he just wanted her to sign it. And she was really, really gracious and, and did it without hesitation. But then she started singing the, the song Touch Me from the movie. And I had a bit of an out of body experience because I was like, am I sitting next to Susan Sarandon while she's singing one of her most memorable songs from the movie, the Rocky Horror Picture Show? Like, is this real life? I, I, I like was pinching myself. I couldn't believe it. I didn't even, I had no words. And, and I think I was like, 23 or 22 at the time like I was just a little baby and I was like oh my god this is a dream and then there was later on I think I was still kind of in shock and she was and she just turned to me at one point she was like so what are your plans what are your goals how are you going to get there and I was like oh my god I don't know this is very stressful um and she was like if I can give I like to give this advice to every young woman that I meet in the industry read every inch of your contract don't your agent and your manager they're not enough you need to know every in and out of your contract um because the only person looking out for you in this industry is you that's the only person and if you're not going to protect yourself no one else really truly will no one's as invested in you as you are and she told me a story maybe this is also a little but she told me a story about how she found out that I think oh my god if, it, if this is like if this is slander you can cut this out but she told me that um Jack Nicholson was making more than her on um the witches of Eastwick making more than her Cher and Michelle Pfeiffer and so they stopped working they were just like no until you rectify this we will not go back to work and I was like wow this is some juicy gossip and also what a strong tough lady you are Susan Sarandon like I just think she's so inspiring and I've taken that that in that uh advice to heart and really tried to understand what my contracts mean because I mean I'm an, I'm an artist I don't know how to I don't know how to read a contract it's so confusing to me and it's so difficult and I, de I definitely my instinct is to leave it to the professionals like my agent and my manager to do all that for me but I I'm actively trying to get a better grasp on the business side of things so that I can protect myself if I ever need to. So I think that was a pretty, that was a pretty memorable one for me. Oh yeah. And you know what? That's, there's, I, I think I've read something, <clears throat> not the same story, but that has happened so many times in that, you know, last 30 or so years of working in Hollywood for those bigger stars. And yeah, it, it's far from slanderous because it's, true i mean it's it, true yeah it's it's uh oh my god she she's such a badass that she's such a badass it's it was it's really cool yeah to just say like fine we're not going to work until you pay us what we rightfully deserve i mean yeah screw you guys no that's that's incredible in the the uh notion of reading your contract i can't tell you on one hand how many other actors i know who actually read through their contracts mm -hmm. just just to see and yeah, the verbiage can be off-putting at first, but you get used to it. I mean, you can easily tell when something is going to easily screw you over. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's it's like anything. It's like it's yeah. like learning a new language, but you you're already one step ahead because you do speak the language. But I think it's I think it really is important. And I I will admit that I I can be a bit lazy, and I do rely on people around me to help me hmm. figure this stuff out. Um, but I do, I think it's really, I think it's really, really important to know because there's all these little, like, again, no one is ever trying to, no one has your best interest at heart really more than you do. 
So you need to be watching your butt. Oh, and the other thing is also just like ask for more. That was the other thing. She was just like, whatever they're paying you, you deserve more. So ask for more. And I was like, and she was like, most of the time they have it. They just don't want to give it to you, but they have it. And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) That is what I've never, never heard that before. As far as what? what? Yeah. Who would have thought about that? You know, not us. I know. No, my, I'm like, whatever you want to pay me, I'll take less. Cause just, I'm happy to be here. Like that's my instinct is I work so hard to get the, we all do. We work so hard to get these roles. And then when we get them, we're just so grateful that we have them. It's like, you don't even have to pay me. I'm fine. But, uh, I, but I like, and I, I will say I'm not very good at following that advice, but I liked it. I liked the advice of ask for more, but I'm really like, whatever you can throw my way, I'm fine. I'm going to try to be better at asking for more. I'm sure as the years go on, you will be more inclined to say, mm, yeah, give me like 20%, bump 20% onto that. Yeah. I'm, uh, I mean, I'm still in the mentality. I'm like, yes, obviously the boys did very well and uh, people really responded to my character, but I'm still in the mindset that this could all end tomorrow. I'm like, well, that was nice. We'll see if I ever work again. <laughs> well, that's good though, because it keeps you grounded, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I mean, it's self-protection a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Well, yeah. I, given that that story had a lot of, uh, you know, like big star wisdom instilled within it, do you have any advice you'd give the listeners of this podcast who, one, could be, you know, just starting out, trying to get into the industry, or have been in it for a little bit, do you have any advice you can, uh, you know, instill upon them that uh, wouldn't <laughs> encourage them to not give up? Yeah, mm, I wonder if I do. I'm, I'm sure. I mean, I really liked Susan's advice. So that's a good one. And I'm trying to think of anything that isn't, that hasn't been said a million times. Probably like, don't forget that it's fun. Mm, like it could be really fun. draining, I think sometimes. And disheartening and there's so much disappointment and there's so much work that goes unnoticed um well you know when you like really put everything you get you, you emotionally invest in an audition and then nothing happens and you're like wow I just did this amazing tape and and, and now no one is gonna see it it's like yeah but you had fun didn't you like isn't this why you're doing this is because you like to embody characters and tell stories well you just did that that was pretty fun so I think that's at the end of the day, that's really what I try to remember. And, that, and that's maybe why I haven't given up in times when like it's seemed pretty dire. It's because like, oh, I, but I still like this world. Like I like, I like the, my community and I like what I do when I get to do it. And it's fun. I think that's perfect advice. I mean, it's, uh, I forgot the, I forgot what it's from, but oh, I think it's oh god, this is horrible. But it's like Hangover two or three or something, and it's I love uh, respect it, love it. <laughs> it's it's Ken Jong's character, and I haven't seen those movies since they came out. But he said, "Well, did you die? No, yeah, all right, but you had fun. Like that that really goes well with the uh, you know you are like you said you are like becoming a character. You are performing. You're not getting paid to do the self tape, but this is what you love, so you should mm-hmm. enjoy it anyway." That's no, that's perfect advice. I don't think anyone said that before, you know, keeping it fun and less of a, you know, <laughs> hey, remember you are a business owner or, you know, like something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> very acidic. yeah. Yeah, because, you know, it, it, all, all of the rest of the advice is invalid too. It's like, you know, treat yourself as a small business and like read your con- and all that technical stuff. But I, 
I'm glad I was original. I'm glad no one's ever said that before. Now I feel really proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I did a podcast. I gave them some advice. It's pretty badass. Uh, pretty wise. I think I'm pretty wise. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was perfect. I, uh, I I I've hit the the limit here. I have nothing else um, scheduled because we have like a minute left on the the allotted time. But I uh, have one more thing. It's what we call an awkward goodbye. Uh, first, I want to say <laughs> thank you for joining this podcast and just being so much fun sharing your story. Um, I have a few more things to, to chat with you about uh, after the recording, so don't leave quite yet. Um, okay. But this is going to be our awkward goodbye, which I have to preface by asking, have you ever seen Wayne's World? Only once when I was very little. That seems to be pretty common. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm the black sheep in that populace. But uh, there is there is a countdown section of a, a very pivotal scene in that movie where the cameraman does a silent 3-2-1 countdown and then points and then the stars of the movie are just super duper awkward. So yeah. when I do the countdown and I point to you, give me your best verbal awkward goodbye and we'll end the recording there. You think you can uh, you can do that? Oh, I, I, yes, I'm already doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. We'll say, use it, use that energy. All yes. right. Well, uh, here we go in three. Uh, bye. See, uh, see you later, uh, friend. <laughs>